0: You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. All right, it's Father's Day, and this is part three of Lit. We have started the series three weeks ago, and I began the series with a thought encouraging you to live life passionately, and uh, we spoke out of Leviticus and Revelation, two of your favorite books in the Bible, and uh, we talked about the importance of keeping that fire burning on the inside, and I challenge you to find a single person in the whole history of the world who has made any real difference by being lukewarm. You will not find it. You cannot make a difference or live your life as you should if you're lukewarm on the inside. So I encourage you to pursue life with passion. And last week, Alini delivered a great, great message. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back, listen to it on the podcast, blast it in your car ride, in your commute, because she spoke about the importance of vision and how without vision you can have passion, but you can have misguided passion, passion that will take you to places that you shouldn't go. That's why you have people making poor decisions. Their passion is not the problem. The problem is lack of vision. So I encourage you to go back and listen to it. And today, I want to continue this series lit by sharing another element that is very essential for you to live full of passion. That is very essential for you to continue to live life, even through the valleys. Because what happens is, if you don't have this element, I'm going to share in a little bit before we, uh, we're going to read the scripture before we do that. But if you don't have this element, you can get afflicted with anxiety and stress and a sense of loss. So we're going to share what it is in a little bit. But before, I want to read this passage found in Psalms, chapter 115, verses 2 through 8. And it is said, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. David here is highlighting the importance of trust. The importance of placing your trust on the right source, on the right thing. And he is giving a picture, he's painting a picture of someone who places their trust in their idol. Not the word for idol is something that is first in your life, something that you put. At the first place in your life. When you place your trust in something that cannot speak, that cannot hear, that cannot listen to you, that cannot reach out and embrace you, David is saying, you end up becoming just like that thing. In other words, your senses will be dull. You will begin to lose your ability to see, your ability to hear, your ability to reach out and make a difference. Now... Trust is this element that we need and we use. We take part of it every single day. I don't know if you have stopped to realize how many times a day you actually make use of trust. Just this morning, for you to wake up in the morning, most of you, if not all of you, you trusted that your alarm clock was going to go off. You said it the night before. And you didn't spend the night worried, oh my God, I wonder if it's going to go off this morning. Especially now with smartphones and batteries and you can't give that excuse anymore. My life didn't go off. My alarm didn't go off. Steve Jobs took care of that one. You, you, You trusted that your alarm was going to go off and then you got up. And if you needed to flip a light switch, you trusted that electricity would be there, available, and that the light bulb would light up because of that. You didn't think about it. You just did it. You, when you went to your fauc- the, 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 the sink in the, in, the, in the bathroom and you turned on the faucet, you trusted that water would be available for you to brush your teeth, wash your face, and the same water would be available in the shower for you to clean up, hopefully. And when you went to your kitchen, you trusted the milk would be warm and the coffee the coffee would be... Hot in the coffee pot. If you're a coffee drinker, God bless you. We're partners. You trusted all these things. When you turned the key on your car, you trusted the engine would run. Most of you, some of you prayed for your car and said, please, please, Lord, (laughs) please let it run today. But most of you trusted, you didn't even think about it. You just turned the key and you trusted that the engine would bring you here today. We make use of trust every single day. Now, why is that? Why are you able to trust the light bulb and the electricity? Why are you able to trust the alarm clock? Why are you able to trust the vehicle and the refrigerator? Very simple. Because for as long as you can remember, those things have worked. They have delivered to you their function And their benefit. There is a relationship between you and those items to the point that when you flip a switch, if the light doesn't turn on, there's something wrong. You're never wondering, oh, I wonder if today when I got home, if the light's going to turn on. You know electricity will be available and you turn it on. Because why? Because it's happened repeatedly again and again and again and again and again. Now, of course, this is a simple example, and these examples are examples of little consequence because if the light happens to not come on or the water is not available or your car doesn't run, you're still you. You're still who God made you to be. And you are still the person living within your, your purpose. You still have a job. You can still get to where you need to go. Just call an Uber or a friend. You can still... Accomplish things. But this example shows us how trust functions. Because when trust is well applied, when there's a good relationship between you and what you're trusting on, it puts you at ease. It invites in peace. Stress goes down. Anxiety goes away. Because you are able to trust in that specific area. Think about bigger things. A marriage, for example. Getting two people, two different people from different backgrounds. Sometimes even different countries, like the case of David and Alona. He's from Guatemala. She's from the Philippines. Woo! Imagine the food. these two different people came together just two weeks ago and they vowed to spend the rest of their lives together in the same room sharing their lives and making new humans together. Think about that for a minute. Think about the amount of risk that's involved. Have you thought about that? But why are they able to take that step? Why are they able to make that pledge? Because they trust that the other person will deliver and will continue to walk toward themselves. They walk toward each other and they trust that covenant. That's why they're able to make it. Think about a business partnership, for example. Whether it's a business transaction or you have an actual partner, you trust that the other person will deliver at the end of the bargain. How many of you here shop on Amazon? Right? Everybody here in this room almost. I saw 60% of the hands go up. A massive business. Now, would you go to a store, give them them your money, and say, I'll come back two days later to pick up what I need? No. But we have been conditioned to be okay with giving away our money and trusting that something will show up at our door a few days later. We just know it's going to happen. In fact, we wait. We can track it. Why? Because it's happened again and again and again. They've been able to prove that they work. Trust is essential for you to live your life passionate and to be able to endure circumstances in life. If you are to live your life full of passion, move forward, have a great connection with God, a relationship with Jesus. Have a positive connection with others, with your friends. Live for the purpose that he has given you. You need to be able to apply your trust and place your trust on the right source. And there's a great example in scripture that we find in Mark chapter 8. And this is Jesus with a crowd somewhere. Let's read and, and see this illustration. In those days... And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? He said, They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the, his disciples to set before the people. And they set be- them before the crowd. And they had a, a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Now we read passages like this in Scripture and we forget what it takes to actually see that unfold in the first century. This is prior to school buses and trains and bicycles and cars. This is donkey and camel land. And you have a crowd that, is, that gather. Now, remember, they used to count only men. <clears throat> this is not a reflection on the Bible. This is a, refl- a reflection on society back then. They would only count men. So if you add women and children conservatively, We can say that there were at least 8,000 people there. About 8,000 people are gathered in a desolate place. Something amazing is going on for that to happen. You're talking about megachurch? Jesus was doing it big in the first century. No internet, no Twitter, no air conditioning, no lights. And there was 8,000. This auditorium right here has about 800 seats. Imagine this thing packed. We got some work to do. Imagine this thing packed 10 times over. That's how many people were with Jesus in a desolate place. The way to get there, you got to load up your donkey, carry your stuff, and go to where Jesus was. And people wanted to be where Jesus was, they wanted to be with him. Something was going on there. Another thing that we can realize or we can, we can deduce or presume from this passage is that Jesus didn't stumble upon an 8,000 people crowd in the desolate place. It's not like he was walking around and, oh, there's 8,000 people hanging out. No, they weren't there because of him. They went to a desolate place because of Jesus. They went after him. And when they got there, we can presume also, because Jesus said that they were there for three days. It wasn't a two-hour service. They were with him for three days. We can presume also they didn't get there hungry. They got there well fed. Another thing that the scripture says too is that Jesus wanted to send them back to their homes. So these were not homeless people. These are people who had a home, had a pantry, had some bread in their pantry. They decided to pack up some supplies and go to a desolate place because that's where Jesus was. He took them there. And now they're in a desolate place and they have nothing to eat. Why? Because Jesus took them there. If they hadn't gone, they would have something to eat. And how many times... Is that us? How many times is that you and I? We believe in what we have on the inside. We believe in the gifts and the talents that God placed on the inside, that God placed in you. And you pray and you say, God, if you open this door, I'm walking in. God, I want to follow you anywhere. Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And you're full of passion. You're believing. And you say, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do, Jesus. Jesus. I'll take that step, I'll start that business, I'll start that class, and I'll finish it. And I'll go through every single thing that you tell me to go through. And then you take the step, and you're praying, and you're believing Psalm 23 over your life. Praise Jesus. What does that say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. But guess what? There's no green pastures. There's no still water. Jesus led you to a desolate place. And What do you do then? What do you do when you follow Jesus? And because you follow Jesus, you get cut away from your resources. You get cut away from your abilities. Because you try to do the right thing. It's not like you sinned. It's not like you made a mistake. It's not like you messed up. You were doing the right thing. You were trying to pursue what God told you to pursue. And there you are in a desolate place, wondering why you have nothing to eat now. In other words, you could, you could, you could say, the question could come and arise and you could say, if I had stayed home, I'd had food now. And you might wonder, if he loves me and if he cares for me, then why am I here? If God loves me, why am I here in a desolate place away from the resources that I once had? Away from the possibilities that I once had? Why am I here? Trust is tested in desolate places. Trust is tested in desolate places. It is easy to trust God when you are laying on green pastures. It's easy to trust God when you are laying by still waters. But can you trust him when he calls you away from your resources and everything you know to be safety and security and all you have is Jesus? In the future? Can you trust God when He leads you out? You know, sometimes we are tempted to look at our surroundings and hold on to what we have instead of release what we have. And this is where the story and the plot thickens. Because there are about 8,000 people who are hungry, their supplies have run out. But somebody has food. Somebody has some food. And I want to ask you this. What if it was you? How would you feel? I don't want to ask you, forget what you would do. Don't think about what you do right now. We'll get to that. How would you feel if you were the person with seven loaves of bread? in the crowd of 8,000 people hungry, wanting to eat. How would you feel? I'll tell you how you would not feel. You would not feel safe. You would not feel secure. You would not feel like your future is guaranteed. Why? Because abundance is not correlated to lack. Abundance is not correlated with lack. Abundance is correlated with provision. When you have something and you're surrounded by people who have nothing and your something cannot provide for those people, you don't feel fortunate. You feel afraid. You feel stressed. You feel anxious. Because what are you going to do? Right. That's why you never see people throwing a party when there's a massive layoff at their company. Oh, yay, I got to keep my job. 50% of the people got laid off, but I am in the group that didn't. My life is secure. My future is great. No. Because the first thing in that person's mind is what? Am I next? Is this company going to survive? Are things going to be okay? Okay. That's why when you hear people say the average American is wealthier than most of 80% of... You know, there's always those, those statistics where they tell you that you are wealthier than more than 80% of the country. I don't know about you, but that doesn't make me feel good. Because life is hard. And I'm not complaining. What I'm saying is you begin to wonder. I don't take it as a compliment. Because when you are the person... With seven loaves, while everybody else is famished, that's not a compliment. And when they say things like that, it's almost as if they're telling you, hey, you have seven loaves, and everybody else is famished. So what would you do? How would you feel? I bet that person with the seven loaves had the temptation to say, hey, maybe I should hold on to these. Maybe... Maybe this is what's going to get me home but how am I going to even pull pull one loaf out how how can I show what I have in in this situation how how can I even make good use of this I can't I mean it didn't matter if you had 100 loaves it wouldn't make a difference See, there's there's something about this story. There's something about this crowd because the passage starts with saying that a crowd was formed again. They have been through that before. Something else you don't see in that passage is a complaint. People are not complaining. Jesus noticed that they're hungry. Jesus noticed that they were about to faint. Jesus looked upon their need. He looked upon their situation, and he reached out. You know why? Because he's not dead. He's not deaf. He's not mute. He sees where you are right now. He sees where you are. See, I'm speaking out of experience here. Because our story, many of you know, that we came from Houston, Texas. And while in Houston, Texas, our life was in green pastures, sitting by still waters. Life was good. And then we got called. We felt called to come and start this community here. But for a period there, you know, things were, were trying. See, immediately when we came, we sold our home. So we put some money in the bank. And then the church gave us a, a seed money some, as, in the form of a severance package. So that gave us a little bit of security to, to, to move and get jobs here and get settled we also did something on purpose. We went to a, a conference called ARC Churches. And we became part of this amazing, amazing organization called ARC. We are an ARC church, the Association of Related Churches. And what they do, they plant churches all over the country. And right now here, we give a percentage of our, of our uh, donations here to ARC to make sure that those churches, more churches like this church, is, are planted all over the country. But what they do when you want to plant a church, when you feel called to plant a church and you have the blessing of your church, what they do is they test you, they vet you. They train you, they give you all the information you need to have, and then they test you. And that's what we went through. We went through a grueling, almost two hours, sitting with two other couples, and they're asking us every single question you could imagine about our marriage. Yeah, all the questions. And then we gave them our social security numbers and we signed this huge long form allowing them to see everything in our financial history. All of it. Because when you're about to embark in this magnitude of a journey, you want people who have gone through that before. You want people who have the data to look at you and say, don't do it. Part of us was wishing they would say that. <laughs> so we could sit back and say, God, I think uh, we were mistaken. No. No. And then the third part is you actually have to sit in a room with about 12 to 20 pastors and you have to lead a service. you got to preach to them, make them come to Jesus, and do all that. So in that process, you know, we went through it, and we were wondering, like, oh, where are we going to... Because they, they give you a score. Where are we going to fall on this score? And we were surprised that we, got, we did get the highest score. So we were there, and we're, we moved here with a, a little bit of confidence, obviously, We've never done it before, and we knew that this was only going to happen by the grace of God, of Jesus Christ. But we came with our little daughter, Maya. She was two and a half back then. This is 2013. With money in the bank and excited to get jobs in Connecticut in 2013. I don't know if you remember. And we got here and just started working the ground meeting people. We had never been here before or lived here before. And then the time went by. And we met one couple, then another, and then another. And then after six months, Alini was able to get a job because I couldn't get a job anywhere. It was like God was saying, nope. I applied everywhere. I still get emails about jobs. (laughs) Literally, I must have applied to like 100 jobs, including chain stores. I wanted anything. Nothing came back now I know why, but but i 'm telling you the story, long story short, fast forward a year later, October two thousand and fourteen was one of the hardest, hardest months of my life because we, as many of you know, we found out we were expecting Alini was pregnant with twins, and that was not an easy pregnancy. We heard every kind of Bad possibility that could have happened with our daughters. And we are in the final stretch beginning of October. There is a, there is a C-section scheduled for October 13th. But Alini's body is giving out. She's having kidney problems. She's having liver problems. Her tongue is getting all sorts of things. Like she's, she's her body is reacting to this pregnancy. The babies are in her, in her uh, healthy, but the cords were really tangled. And anything could happen at any day. And we were praying every single day, God, keep these babies alive and healthy. Because if the cord gets tangled, one of them could have passed and then they would have to extract the babies right then within the hour. So we had to go up to Denver every single day to get monitored. And God sent an angel from Houston, Texas to take care of Maya because she wasn't allowed in the hospital during weekdays. And in that beginning month of February of October 2014 I got to tell you I was in a desolate place and the only person in front of me was Jesus and there was all kinds of questions because the money was gone because the possibilities were not certain we didn't know if this church was going to happen we spent all of our savings all the money that we made in the house that we sold and it's October, and my daughter's are about to be born. Certainly, to go to ICU and spend a month there. And my wife is not doing well. And the questions in my mind are God, is this what you called us for? I just said no to a job in another church because I believed that you had called us to Stanford, Connecticut. And is this what you called us for? Is this the end? Should I go back? What am I going to do? How am I going to provide? Forget the church, my family, my daughter, my wife. How are we going to see another day? I could trust or quit. But somehow, when God has been there for you before, when he, ha- when he has made you cross a desolate place before, you know how to dig your heels in and say, God, I trust you. I trust that my Redeemer lives I know that he is alive and we're going to see this through. My daughters were born. They were in the ICU. We couldn't hold them. They were fighting for their lives but they were healthy. They were perfect. I wish I could show you the picture of the umbilical cord because you wouldn't believe it. The doctor said, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've delivered over 5,000 babies. I have never seen this. I don't know how they're healthy. They were born with the same weight, which is very rare for twins. Usually one gets more nutrition than the other, and they were born perfectly the same. Until now, they have the same, same weight. God was faithful, and he pulled us through. i got to tell you this morning. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, you might be in a desolate place and there's stress and anxiety in you because you're holding on to your seven loaves and you're holding on to the thing that you have in your hands and you don't know what to do with it. You don't know what to do with it because maybe you didn't have the history of trusting in God. Maybe you have trusted in things before that didn't speak to you, things that couldn't hear you, things that couldn't embrace you, things that didn't have a promise for your life. I'm here to tell you, God has a promise for your life. He has a purpose for your life. You have been called for something great. So keep the passion alive and trust in Him. Release your loaves because Jesus is asking you for them. You see in the passage that Jesus asked for the loaves of bread. So what are you going to do with them? If you hold on. If you can't trust, you're going to go through anxiety and stress and this sense of loss. But I'm here to tell you that if you release and you say, God, it's not much. It's not going to get me home. It's not going to take me where I need to be. But it's all I have and I give this to you. You know what's going to happen? He will multiply it. He will make it sustainable, and He will satisfy your soul. But listen, Jesus can't multiply what you won't release. He can't. He can't bless what you won't give Him. So my my challenge to you this morning is if you are feeling way down, weary, if you're feeling like you're going to faint. Maybe you're not a complainer. Maybe you're not even complaining. You're just saying, I just need a little bit of energy to get to the place where I need to get to. And you're holding on to your loaves, whatever that they may be. Let me encourage you to release him. Give it to God because he will get you where you need to go. Do you receive it this morning? Why don't you stand with me? Amen.